Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Episode two, our preseason predictions already in tatters after a mere two or three games per team. John Hollinger of The Athletic. I'm Nate Duncan of myself because I'm pretty much entirely independent. But uh, how's your first five days of NBA basketball been, John? Uh, well, it's it's been entertaining. It's it's uh, There's been a lot of really fun games, so that part's been exciting. Um, there's also been a couple of predictions, uh, that we made that are uh, looking a little shaky right now. So that's always fun. I mean, you know, going in that some of what you predicted is going to be wrong. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, clairvoyant. So that, so that's, that's fine. That's great. That's part of what makes the game exciting and, and, and not boring. So, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. So the question is now, do we want to make ourselves doubly wrong by having a preseason prediction, overreacting to the first two or three games, changing that prediction, and then having the original prediction eventually come true—that's that's what I'm really struggling with right well, now. This, here. I mean, this is definitely national overreaction week, right? But <laughs> I think I think sometimes when it really throws you is is sometimes the scale of of wins and losses or of what's happening and. So not just like the Pelicans going 0 and 3 doesn't particularly uh have any profound meaning for me because they were in close games against good teams. Uh yeah. whereas what's happened in Golden State or Sacramento, I think if you're a fan of either of those teams, you are deeply deeply concerned uh right now be- because just the magnitude of the defeats they suffered. I remember a column of yours. I was waiting for it, obviously, after the lockout in 2011. The Heat and Mavs played right at the start of the year, and the Heat just absolutely destroyed them. Obviously, they'd played in the finals the year before, but brought back similar teams. Yeah. Tyson Chandler left famously, of course. Uh, and then the Mavs, I think, had like another 20 point blowout right after that. Denver. You, yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, they were down and, 20 plus at halftime, were never in the game. And I basically wrote, I remember, I wrote, I wrote, I don't know who's going to win the title, but I know who isn't. <laughs> and that proved quite prescient at the time. So to me, though, when it really starts to bother me is, number one, you start feeling good about your predictions when the things that you predicted, even over this short of a period, happen in the way that you thought it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh and then also, I mean, for a team like the Warriors, for example, you know, I predicted 45 wins. You had 51. Doesn't look, at least the way they're playing right now, that they're going to get close to either of our predictions. We, we, we could be off by a factor of 10 based on these first two games. <laughs> that they are really, while I thought that they would have some good things about their game, especially offensively, everything that's gone wrong has been the things that I thought were going to go poorly for them. It's just been... The good things haven't happened either. And so that's, I still think those good things are going to come around for them. But as mm-hmm. of this discussion, they are averaging giving up 35 points per quarter. I don't really, I don't need to tell you their defensive rating to let you know that that's really bad. Um, they're three and five positions with Kavan Looney now going to miss an undetermined amount of time with a uh, neuropathy and his hamstring. They might have the worst three and five positions in the league. Like, each of those individual position groups are probably the worst in the league. Do you think there's any hope for these guys? They've gotten completely blown out, obviously, the first two games. Yeah, I I do think there is some hope uh, just because I've lived through something like this and and we turned out okay. Um, 
my uh, fourth season with the Grizzlies, uh, 2015-16, we played our home opener against Cleveland, lost by 30. Uh, went to Golden State three days later, lost by 50. Uh, oh, I was at that game. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I was at that game, too, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> it we, it was, wasn't a whole lot of fun. Uh, oh, that was actually, was that Jordan Adams' last game that he ever played? I think it was. You know, I think you're right. I, th- yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, um, which I, it was memorable to me for other reasons, but yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, so we actually managed to win a game in between, so it wasn't a perfect c- comparison. But like Golden State, we were uh, we were an older team coming off a we were coming off a 55 win season, and it just it just we just had a really blah training camp and preseason, and just came out looking horrendous and. We were able to sort of get the train back on the rails. In fact, we were after that start. We at one point were thirty-seven and twenty-four, if I remember right. And then uh, we had season-ending injuries to Marcus All, Mike Conley, and Mario Chalmers, and so that effectively ended our season at that point. But if they had stayed healthy, we could have we could have very easily won fifty games that year, despite that start. Uh, so there is. You know, there is a way out of this ditch. It doesn't look like it at when you're watching it in the moment because they look horrendous right now. They now they have to deal with a couple things that we didn't in Memphis. Uh, the biggest one is the hard cap because it's they can't or they're very constrained on moves that could potentially improve the team they have now. We made a very rare early November trade that year uh, to trade Bano Udri and Jarnell Stokes for. Mario Chalmers and James Ennis. Uh, and Chalmers was huge for us that year until he got hurt. He was the best backup point guard in the league, hands down, that season. Uh, and and that really uh, elevated us a notch. But that obviously wasn't the only thing that needed to happen. Um, we just needed uh, – we needed to get in better shape as a team. <laughs> we just had uh, had a, yeah, a very no, – That's, uh, that's very a problem for Golden training State camp. too. And you can see yeah. that that's an issue, I think, for a couple of these guys in Golden State. Um, we refined a lot of things that we did offensively, which I think Golden State needs to do as well. Um, in terms of, you know, so many times teams come into training camp saying, you know, we're going to have a more democratic offensive system this year. We're going to share the ball and do all, you know, do all this stuff. And, and then the games start. And what happens is that you have these secondary and tertiary players put in positions to make decisions with the ball that they're not capable of making. Um, So you end up with, say, Marquise Chris passing up three dunks to kick it out to the corner to Glenn Robinson to shoot a three that he, you know, maybe will make one of them. And so you get get situations like that. And I think what they're going to do, I'm sure at some point, if it's not tomorrow, at some point real soon, if this continues, is constrain a lot of the options in the offense, just mid-pick and roll with Steph, mid-pick and roll with D'Angelo, you know, you other guys stand in the corner. It's hard for Steve Kerr, I'm sure, because this is totally antithetical to the way he wants to play and what he believes in as a coach. But it is the only way for a team with two offensive players to function. Yeah, and that's really what they have. You know, it's very ironic because... Steve Kerr was brought in and he had this group that Mark Jackson had really underutilized offensively. They had all these great passers that they had these great off ball shooting threats uh, who could move. And Mark Jackson never did anything in terms of ball movement. They're one of the lowest passing teams in the league. Now you might argue, and you know, the, the Kerr's going to adapt, I would expect, but you might argue that Mark Jackson would be doing a better job with his <laughs> offensive system with this team than Steve Kerr because, as you mentioned, the limited options and Draymond Green, too. I mean, like, I think he might have below 50% true shooting and over 20% turnover rate this year. Like, he was uniquely suited to the group that they had to function offensively. And without that now, he's really being exposed as someone who can't score at all. You know, the yeah, guy the, from – yeah, totally. The lack yeah. of The lack of other guys who can shoot is completely exposing – Draymond's own inability to shoot. So he's because he can't create opportunities for these other guys, which is the thing that he's best at. So what you see when he gets the ball, the short roll, like somebody just hangs out inside the charge circle and waits for him. And there's really no, there's no threat. Yeah. They don't even have a center who can like finish inside at this point either. I mean, like it's, 
Yeah, it, it's pretty ugly. And, and uh, I mean, it's worth noting too, you know, in the 10 minutes that Kevon Looney played, and let's hope it's not the ten, only 10 minutes he plays all season, they actually were fine against the Clippers. And they're just mm-hmm. at, at center now. I mean, uh, Amari Spellman can't finish uh, unless he's like wide open uh, in the full court. I mean, and even then he got a dunk block somehow today where, where it took him about, uh, as you used to say, he, you could time his release with a sundial. Like he, he was yeah. just, it, it was rough. All right. So Golden State. I tried to tell you, you didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Sacramento, you tried to tell me, I didn't want to hear it. Yeah, you know, I thought they would struggle. I didn't think it would be quite this bad. Uh, I mean, defensively, they're, they've been horrendous. Um, and I, you know, it was never a big part of their identity. And I just think maybe with the coaching change that it that, that just kind of pulled back even more. And then their half-court offense is still... A mess. If you take away their transition, and I'm not sure they're as fast as they were a year ago. And if you take take that away, it's, they're pretty easy to stop at the end of the day. Yeah, they were 0.7 points per possession in the half court last night against the Jazz, which is just absolutely miserable. I thought I thought that the defensive personnel here wasn't that bad, and I did wonder how the hell Dave Yeager got them to defend at the level they did last year because I thought they'd be a bottom five defense. Yeah, they were not last year. But, but then they added guys that I thought were pretty good in Deadman and Ariza, who's looking incredibly washed right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Joseph, I mean, I, I think he still helps. So, you know, they have Barnes is okay. Bogdanovich is okay. Like, they have guys who are all right. Obviously, the Bagley injury hurts them. I'm not willing to write them off yet, but it, it does seem like, at least as of right now, there's been a coaching downgrade. Um, Maybe you could say the India trip is hurting them as well, especially for a team that's so reliant on transition to not have your absolute highest amount of energy is a big problem for them. So I'm not willing to, I mean, certainly with the way that they've started, you have to save 42 wins for them, which I predicted is looking a lot less likely, but I'm not willing to say, you know, they're going to be one of like a sub 30 win team necessarily here. Yeah. I, you know, a couple of things stand out to me. Uh, first of all, I think you're right about the India trip. Uh, we we had done some research on teams that had gone overseas. Uh, we, we fortunately in Memphis never were put in this position, but that small they, markets ha- have uh, all the advantages. advantage of the small market. Actually, the team did get sent to Spain uh, before I got there, uh, and you, you know because they had uh, Mark and I, I think they had Juan Carlos at Navarro at the time too. Uh, but in, in my seven years there, they never got the overseas trip. And I think that I think that overseas trip is really hard because from everything I've heard anecdotally talking to people and then from the evidence from the first couple of weeks of the of the season from these teams, which is admittedly fairly small sample, but still um, is is that it's really hard to just have a good camp and run good practices and stuff. You're all jet lagged. You're doing you're doing all these events for the NBA. You lose a day flying each way. I know they can start a little earlier that, that the NBA grants them that, but it's it still doesn't make up for it. And these teams a lot of times come out like this. You're seeing the same thing with Indiana, who's the other team that went to India, uh, that they haven't been able to guard anybody either. And they've just looked kind of slow and unenergetic. Uh, so I, I do think that trip is a factor. At the same time, after three games, they're giving up 61% shooting on twos. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's rough, man. Yeah, and, and as we know, like... As, as you look at the list of stats and, and how long they take to stabilize, three-point shooting is the one where you're like, okay, bad three-point shooting by you, good three-point shooting by the opponent. That's yeah. going to normalize. It takes takes a while. Uh, you know, Two-point shooting takes a while as well. Uh, but you're, the things that are fundamental to you of just where you're giving up shots, mm-hmm. two-point attempts and three-point attempts, for example – uh, the numbers of those, those stabilize pretty early on. So you, if you're really struggling there and they're giving up shots in really bad places right now, it's a concern. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, you know, I think you don't want to overreact too much from, from three games, obviously, but they've, I mean, they played Phoenix, Portland, and, uh, remind me again, who was the, who was the team that blew them out yesterday? Utah. Phoenix, Portland, and Utah, like, okay, like... Two of those nope, at home. None of those teams 
projected to be top three offenses, let's say. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we played, you know, we played against Golden State with Curry and Durant and gave up 140 points. Like, it wasn't anything like that. They just getting lit by regular teams. Yeah. But let's turn to their opening night opponent, Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I predicted that they were going to be a bottom five defense. I saw them that first night against Sacramento. Sacramento was throwing the ball over the gym. They had 25 turnovers. But uh, how have they been doing it defensively so far? And do you believe that that can continue? Uh, I'm not sure (laughs) if it can continue. (laughs) But, I mean, what was really interesting to me about that opener against uh, Sacramento was that they were getting uh, lit in the first half by Buddy Heald especially. And Booker was kind of doing the regular Booker thing. And then midway through the second quarter, it was like something, a switch went off. I don't know if Monty fired him up in the timeout or what. But from that point to the end of the game, like Booker was really competing on defense and like blowing up DHOs for Buddy Heald and stuff. And it was like, well, where, where, who's this guy? And uh, Ricky obviously was a huge pest in that game. I know, I know he missed the game yesterday, which is amazing. They beat the Clippers without him and DeAndre Ayton. Um, but I, I, I do feel like there's a little bit more of a, a give-a-shit factor with Phoenix on the defensive end that, that, than I've seen from them in recent years. So that's that's an encouraging sign. Now, they're also, um, I mean, they're benefiting from a little bit of Jedi three-point defense. It's probably not going to stick around. But at the same time, I mean, you have to be really encouraged. The expectations there, I think, outside Phoenix certainly were pretty low for this year, especially if you subtract eight and for 25 games. And, uh, you know, now you didn't have Ricky against the Clippers. You didn't think that was going to be a win and so they're they've been able to do some stuff and and you know they they've looked through three games like a team that will stay in the playoff race for most of the year like they could be what sacramento was last year yeah i I think that's right you know i'm not going to go ahead and say that they're uh going to make the playoffs or anything but yeah so uh, mid mid thirties if they can keep up the defense uh that seems realistic to me and just where they've been giving up shots are much better they are sixth best in the league at forcing shots from mid-range and they are uh seventh best in the league at preventing three-pointers so that that's looks a lot better than it did for them in previous years okay we didn't talk about this beforehand but did you ever have anyone suspended by the league the way Aiton was maybe not even for yes. PEDs, but for something else yeah like, like what was that and process it was like on the team side oh it was crazy because it was right before the playoffs started we lost Nick Calathis to a 20-game suspension oh, yeah. right before the playoffs started. And as luck would have it, we had claimed Bano Udry on waivers with like three weeks left in the season. And thank God we did because then we got to the playoffs and we still had a, a backup point guard. So Nick missed missed that entire seven-game series against Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Um we had another suspension in Game Seven, which don't get me started on that one. Um, <laughs> that was but, that's an underrated classic series, by the way. That 2014. Uh, we had, I think, four straight games go to overtime. Yeah, no, I mean that was, and then a, Game a, Five, Game Five uh, got overturned on a replay at the end, at the buzzer in overtime. Ibaka tipped it in, and, and it was like a millisecond after the buzzer, and so we won Game Five that way. Yeah, and then you guys were up three two, and then uh, OKC came and and uh, they, they beat us six and seven. They, yeah, yeah, they beat us pretty good in game six, and then game seven, Zebo was suspended. We actually played a really good half because we 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 started four smalls and opened the floor, and it was so unlike anything we'd ever done before that Oak City was like, "What's going on here?" Uh, but then uh, Westbrook and Durant decided to make every single shot, so we lost. Well, so back to the the suspension. What was the communication like when you – do you hear that first from the league? Do they tell the player first? Uh, and then obviously from a PR standpoint, everyone kind of needs to get maybe a little bit on the same page. Although it seems like with the Suns, they were almost like a little bit more kind of shaking their finger at Aiton a little bit in their public statement. Yeah, they tell uh, – to my knowledge, they tell the GM and the player at roughly the same time. Yeah, uh, I found out from our from our GM, Jason Levin called me. He was like, uh, "We're not going to have Nick," and I was like, "What?" Uh, so that, that that was how I found out. Now, this was before the Twitter era had gotten completely out of control. And as I think, one of the things you want to control on the team side these days, especially, is how something like that gets out. The biggest difference between 
what happened with Nick in 2014 and what happens with in 2019 is just you your ability to control that news cycle is so much less. Uh, so so I think that's that's another thing I think from the league's perspective that they probably think about I hope a little bit too that they kind of tell everyone at the same time so we can so from the team side you can manage to get a release out before before this thing takes takes on a life of itself. But yeah, so getting back to Kalathis though, so he was suspended for 7 games of the playoffs, so he was suspended also for the first 13 games of the following season. Um and then after a player is suspended for 5 games, they can go on something called the suspended list and for the next uh x number of games until their suspension ends, you can actually add a 16th player to your roster. Right, let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back to talk more about how the 2020 free agent market looks now with all these extensions that have happened since John and I last spoke right after this. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store all right so what really sticks out to you we don't need to go through every extension obviously with this being a a weekly podcast but it's been a while since uh, we've talked want to see what your overall thoughts were uh, with uh, extension season now in the rearview mirror. The one that surprised me because he was the one guy I thought might uh, end up becoming a, a highly coveted restricted free agent was Jalen Brown with Boston because with Boston situation where they are with the tax, where they have Jason Tatum at roughly the same position already uh, and where they are with some of their younger players, I thought it was a real question whether they would commit the whole bag to him right now or whether they'd want to see it play out another year, especially after what happened last year, and kind of feel things out, see where the trade market went, keep their options open. That seemed to me a much more Boston-y kind of thing that they would do based on how they've operated. And uh, But they they didn't. They, They went ahead and committed to him. And I understand it just from the perspective that this upcoming free agent market is going to be pretty bad. And there's going to be uh, what I call the the Forsaken Five or the Forlorn Five when you look at Atlanta, <laughs> Cleveland, Memphis, uh, Charlotte. Uh, I'm forgetting somebody, but there's going to be – oh, New York. There's going to be five probably bad teams with a ton of cap room. And so who are they going to target? They're not going to they're not going to go after Serge Ibaka, right? They're going to go after twenty yeah. three year olds, and they'll just throw a max offer sheet at him and not care because they still have twenty million in room after even if you sign the max. So I think because of that threat, I think smart teams saw this coming, and that's why they signed the deals that they did. Uh, you know, from Sacramento with with Buddy, I actually thought they had got a really good deal with Buddy and. Uh, Jalen Brown with Boston. You saw Indiana do it with Sabonis, even though they're kind of unsure how that fit works with with Turner. 
just knowing that he's probably going to get a huge sheet and just so sign the guy, preserve the trade value. And it's, it's a, the, what I wrote for the athletic is that the cycle feeds upon itself, right? It's a negative feedback loop because the worse your perception is of the upcoming free agent market, the more likely you are to want to re-sign your own restricted free agent, thus making the upcoming free agent market even worse. Yeah, and I guess from Boston's standpoint, too, they didn't project to have cap space even without Braun. So it wasn't necessarily an either-or proposition for a lot of these teams. When you don't have cap space and you have no way to replace a guy, if he leaves for an exorbitant offer sheet, that means maybe you try to pay up. Now, you know, I do think that other than DeJounte Murray, there aren't many of those that I would say are the typical construction where the team has some upside on it. Now, maybe you can just say, hey, they're at least avoiding the downside of a huge offer sheet, Otto Porter style to someone like Jalen Brown. But And Brown has looked pretty good so far this year. But I do wonder of whether any of these, other than maybe DeJounte Murray, have the ability to look out like they're actually a bargain for the team. In theory, when you do these extensions, you say, hey, we'll give you more money now. You get the certainty. But, hey, we're, you're going to take a little bit less than you would, in theory, if you're on the restricted free agent market. And perhaps it'll turn out to be the case that they did, in fact, do that. But these are not quite as team-friendly as you might have expected uh, in past years because of the phenomenon you're talking about. Yeah, I actually think Sacramento has a chance to win on Buddy's deal because it's declining yeah. money. So I, I, think that, I think that's one where they, where they could end up coming out ahead. Uh, you're right, on some of these other ones, you know— Sabonis, they protected their flank. Jalen Brown, they protected their flank. Is there a really ch- is there a chance for a Steph Curry level win on any of these? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that might be asking a a, <laughs> a bit, bit much, much. So, <laughs> to have the well, best contract in NBA history, basically for a non rookie player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Atlanta, Charlotte, Cleveland, Memphis, New York. If New York decides to wave some of their guys who are on non-guarantees or well i think you know the way bobby portis has looked that's gonna be a tough decision nate i don't know what (laughs) they're gonna do well i thought it was a would would have been a tough decision to sign up to the original contract (laughs) that they did so uh yeah you you never know what they're gonna do necessarily but uh what are you gonna do if you're those teams well i think they're they're gonna look at all these young players who are coming on the market i think merry christmas brandon ingram i think malik beasley is gonna get a number that shocks people I think some of these other guys like, you know, Wancho earning Gomez or um, some of these secondary players, you know, does Dwayne Bacon have a good year and get a big offer sheet? Like those are the guys these teams are going to end up looking at now, especially at the two and three where there's just not a lot of players. Yeah, I guess so. I, I think it's not going to be quite Ingram. I agree with you on the kind of lower level guys who like, all right, maybe they're a starter. Maybe they're not. Is a team like Atlanta in particular, going to say where they even you know might have some aspirations of, of being a cap space destination for like real stars at some point if they can take the next step this year and they're looking decent with that so far or memphis i mean i guess they they need a two guard but there's a bunch yeah. of those guys there right like only one of those you know bogdan bogdanovich or malik beasley right like mm-hmm. who's who's gonna win that lottery necessarily and actually get the offer sheet or not get extended uh by or I shouldn't say extended, but just offered a new contract by his team because uh, Sacramento hasn't has offered Bogdanovich as much as they can the fifty one million they can't do that. But to me, I think there's something about these teams. Number one, I think some of them might want to just take space into the season, right? Like they might see Ingram as a difference maker, especially if he mm-hmm. continues to play this well. Beasley, eh, you know, maybe not. Maybe you'd rather hold on to some space and maybe into the season and maybe see if you can get a first round pick for a team trying to dump money for twenty twenty one. And also some of these teams, Memphis, Cleveland, Charlotte, they have been expensive for a while. And I could see their owners just saying, hey, you know what? Like, let's just save a little money here. We're not going to compete. Does get throwing money at a Malik Beasley type of guy? Is that really going to help us that much? You know, let's keep the flexibility. Maybe we can get some more draft picks. Uh, you know, worst case, we got to just pay out a little extra money to our players to reach the salary floor. Uh, because all those teams have either been in the tax or very close to the tax and not making that much lately in terms of Memphis or Charlotte as far as uh, being playoff teams. So I, I could see them going in that direction. To me, New York and Atlanta are the two that I'd really be looking out for. Well, I I would still 
say that somebody like a Malik Beasley is going to get more money than, yeah. than people think. Right, I, so yeah. I'm not saying I, I, it's he's going to get be one of those guys. Though, I'm not saying he's going to get a me. max. Don't get me wrong, yeah, yeah. but like, if he gets an offer sheet that starts at 16, would you be that surprised? No, no, that that wouldn't shock me. I mean, but that's you know kind of like starter money. Uh, I would say at this point, maybe there's a team that thinks that he can come and be a starter, or, or you know, he hasn't established himself yet as a starter, so he's a 12 million player, and you offer him 16 just to get him. Um, yeah, that wouldn't shock me. Um, and the other so, yeah. reason I think he'll be a target and uh, Wancho is because Denver has its own tax issue to w- think about when it looks at this team going forward. And so yeah. there's a perception of vulnerability there that maybe they wouldn't match it. And, and given their history, probably a true perception. Yeah, that, that's true <laughs> uh, as well. In, in terms of the, the tax. To me, the more interesting question is where the hell are all these veteran free agents going to go? The non-restricted guys, you know, your Derek Favors, your Ibaka. Marc Gasol, yeah. Yeah. Because for them, the the, the, the forlorn five are not a market for them, right? And they're the teams maybe with all Atlanta. the caps. And they're the teams with all the caps. And maybe Atlanta, maybe the Hawks decide next year, like they, you know, they really want to go in and, and you know, try to win. But I, 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 I mean, you it's hard them, to come up yeah. with a lot of teams with more than mid-level room that that would really want to take a deep plunge for these guys. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and there's also, I mean, there's only one team, Atlanta, probably that could create double max room. Not that there are necessarily two max players. I mean, DeMar, like, like some of these guys that are really interesting. I mean, Conley, DeRozan, Drummond, those are probably your third through, uh, or, or your three best guys in the market after Anthony Davis, who are... Yeah unrestricted yep i mean it seems like all those guys probably got to just go back to their teams or DeRozan opts in even maybe and maybe conley will do that too i guess all those guys have player options drummond i could see maybe opting out and you know he resigns for 25 million a year for a while in detroit but they they have a weird year coming up here too especially if this blake griffin health woes continue so absolutely yeah yeah i could see i, I could easily see with conley and DeRozan uh the opt-in plus extend for them but if but if if either of them get to the open market, I, I mean, when they come in and they're the only they're the maybe the only real all star ish caliber player, possibly because if if Davis doesn't make himself available, uh, if Drummond for whatever reason either either extends or you know people just don't want fives anyway and. Yeah. So all of a sudden it becomes a great market for those guys, except again, we run into this issue where all the teams in that market aren't really on their timeline. Yeah. I mean, Drummond's only 26, like maybe except, Atlanta could be interested in. Yeah. What about DeRozan back to Toronto? Well, if they keep Van Vliet, they won't have enough room for him. They are at, with Van Vliet's cap hold, which is about 18 million. They are basically, you know, uh, like under 10 million in room. So uh, they would have to move some things around. It could happen. Who knows? Maybe it could happen. But but I think also they're just they're really going all in on 2021. I mean, I, I've uh, everyone I talked to is like, oh yeah, Giannis. They really are want want to try and get Giannis that, in 2021. I mean that that makes a ton of sense. I think they're not the only team that's thinking that way. This just in. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. exactly. Oh, you think he <laughs> he'd maybe make a good target? You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'm sure we're going to see some spectacular low-level tampering here. Lola, uh, <laughs> low, low. how low. do you feel about tampering? By the way, this is a question that we got mm-hmm. in in our, in our mailbag. As an aside, like, were were you guys like worried that teams were tampering with your players? I mean, you had like situation where Conley and Gasol like might get traded, and, and you know, maybe even not specifically, but overall, did you think that like? this is a major problem in the league? Uh, or do you think that yeah, it's kind of overblown, the sort of stuff that like the league is cracking down on right now? I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. I do feel like it's something of a problem. I felt like it was uh, – there was one case where I thought it was an issue for us. Um, but by and large, I think was, we was missed – Was that with someone who is like still under contract to you guys? I mean, yeah, where it was an issue, it was someone with someone who was still on our team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, I would I would guess that you wouldn't like. Okay, if you have a guy who's a free agent and your season is over, you know, and two you know, your season's over on May first, and like he maybe is like 
hearing through back channels that other teams might be interested in a free agency, I, I would guess you wouldn't have a problem with that, right? That that was an expected part of doing business, I think. Yeah. 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 It was, but it, while yeah. you, while the stuff while you're in season, that's, I, I think yeah. that's where when every team like is like, with man, that's, yeah. yeah, that's really not cool. And so, uh, I would endorse any effort to crack down on that. All right. So we still got our mailbag to get to here and, uh, our new segment where John, uh, I asked John some specific questions about how things work in NBA front offices. Uh, interesting topic this week. We're going to hit on how injuries get reported to the media and what goes into that. Uh, take a quick break here first. All right, let's do a, a little mailbag here. We got some good questions still. This is one that I wanted to start with because I actually don't know the answer to this entirely. Saber TJ asks, what is the biggest thing that front offices have access to stats wise that writers and fans don't? Uh, that's a good question. Probably, I would say second spectrum, but we also have a lot of data on play calls that isn't easily replicated, uh, you know, both for our own team and for the other team that the advanced scouts have done. And th- that's stuff that you're just not going to find in the public uh, because it requires knowing another team's calls and the calls are all different for each team. I mean, you could, theor- I mean, theoretically, at some point, maybe someone will go out and, and, fund their own advanced scouting initiative and make it all publicly available. But that's that, that stuff that we definitely had access to that, um, that people external to the league do not. So when you say, uh, is it just like, Hey, here's the points per possession on these calls, or is it just simply, okay, this is what it's called. Here's how, how they run it. Like, uh, well, we have, do? we have a yeah. lot more information on our own stuff than on other teams stuff. Yeah. You know, so I think for our own stuff, especially, we could we could break stuff down at a pretty granular level with some of our common play calls and player combinations, and figure out that something was either working or not working. Uh, especially as as you got deeper into the season, it had a little more data to work with. So that was so that was really interesting, and that was a thing that was more obviously at the coaching and video coordinator level than it was at the front office level. Uh, but we could. You know, we we were able to look under the hood and and see some of it too, but it just didn't it didn't impact our day to day as much, let's say. And then uh, the, the all the teams have access to second spectrum at a pretty deep level. Some of it's publicly available too. Yeah, uh, but it's not quite not quite the same, I guess. Well, so for someone like me, right, I'm pretty facile with advanced stats. I don't actually do my own calculations, but I can see stuff publicly. Obviously I'm watching the games as well. Let's say you didn't have access to the second spectrum stuff. Second spectrum is that player tracking and then yeah. you can do computer programming for those who don't know to basically have it recognize a pick and roll, recognize just about anything you want. Your, your yep. programming language is, is essentially just, it's a series of XYZ coordinates with the ball and the players. And so as long as you have enough programming ability, you can, make it recognize just about anything um how much of an advantage is it to have that is someone like me like if i don't have that am i just like not capable of doing as good of a job or is it like ah, eh, maybe you're five percent better uh i think it's helpful if you're trying to game plan for somebody i'm not sure if it i'm not sure it's so granular that i'm not sure it's as helpful to an analyst trying to do what we're doing because yeah, it's so because it's so because that. it's so deep in the weeds yeah that uh yeah, there, i mean there are some de- there are definitely some pieces of information in there that were helpful but man you get you you're you're really getting into some pretty deep geeky stuff and i you usually were were even even as deep as a lot of the analytics discussions are publicly they're usually a level or two removed from where this is getting into yeah, so you think it's really more useful from like a game to game standpoint? That's just, that to me. Yeah, game planning, coaching. Now in a playoff series, it gets more interesting. You got yeah. more reps. You got the same team. The starters play so many minutes that it's that you just accumulate a lot of information on these on these specific players and specific plays. And that you know, I think that's even increased 
in the playoffs, the tendency we've already seen where teams get familiar with each other's stuff and it becomes very hard to run anything successfully by the fifth or sixth game other than just ISOing. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's really, I, I do think it's impacted playoff basketball somewhat that way. Jan Studebaker. Nate has been critical of the we have to give small market teams a chance arguments for a punitive luxury tax tampering. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, the Supermax, which is designed to keep pl- superstar players in small markets. Uh, as a having been executive in a small market, what is your point of view on just the general question of how much the league should be helping small markets beyond, you know, just kind of having a salary cap basically and, and limited ways to exceed it yeah the um it's that's a very interesting debate i think revenue sharing was a very important one for us because it is impossible in memphis to earn as much in tv revenue as you do in los angeles it is not humanly possible so that that is a massive disadvantage that you operate with um and yet your your team is part of the reason that those other teams can make what they do because the Lakers or the Knicks, they need an opponent to broadcast their game, right? So, yeah. so there is a, there is a, a justification, an economic justification for that revenue sharing as much as it may upset the Lakers or Knicks because everyone wants to keep all their money, right? But yeah. it's, it's, and it does make it more of a fair fight within the league because even beyond the salary cap, you get into the issue of the resources that teams are, that some of these other teams are able to, uh, expand on there's no salary cap on coaches or front office or scouting uh, or analytics. I mean, the size of some of the scouting and analytics staffs at these teams like the Clippers and Toronto they're, that are uh, able to in Golden State, they're able to uh, generate so much revenue and just have a lot, have a lot of money to spend. Um, it's much different than with the smaller market teams. Yeah, I th- I think the tax, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this actually, but my theory is that the tax, in theory, was supposed to prevent teams from, uh, you know, level the playing field between small and big markets. But to me, it's actually made that playing field more disparate because now you're at only certain teams can afford to go into the tax because it's much more punitive. Whereas in the old dollar for dollar tax days, a team like an Indiana or a Memphis, if they were close and felt like they were able to compete, could go into the tax now. There are certain teams that are just never, ever going to do it, and those are not big market teams. Yeah, there, there's definitely an element of that because the other thing is, depending on how many other teams are in the tax, you miss out on that cut of the revenue share that comes right. from the tax, which the more punitive the, you make the tax, if you have one team that's just disgustingly over like Brooklyn was the one year, then the, then you're you're insane to be in the tax that year if you're in a small market because you're, you're costing yourself millions of dollars just with that – with that one decision. So the, there's an element of that. Um, you know, we, we were fortunate in Memphis. I mean, we were able to spend to the tax line every year I was there and, and our owner never said boo about it. He was always willing to do that. And, uh, if we had, if we had had a team that, uh, that realistically was going to be in the finals, we, he would have been willing to pay and pay into the tax for that. But I think short of that, you know, to go 48 and 34 and pay the tax, that, that wasn't happening. Uh, but for, for championship caliber, uh, and I think that's the way a lot of the small, I don't think that's unique. I think that's the way a lot of small markets think. If you, if you gave truth serum to some of these other owners and, you know, Charlotte or New Orleans or Atlanta or Orlando, that's probably what they would say too. Yeah. Cap guru, Albert Namad had a great stat that in the tax era, only three of the 16 teams that have won the championship did not pay the tax in that year. Um, all right, so we have a, a name for our segment here where I ask you about your experience, uh, Holland Journeys. <laughs> now, uh, this is a fluid thing if you think you could beat that, but uh, thanks to uh, intrepid reviewer H4426JI on iTunes, but uh, please come forward on Twitter or something so we can identify you. Uh, I, I don't properly. think that's his, new, that's his real name. Yeah. <laughs> Or her real name. <laughs> uh, so the question that we wanted to talk about this week, because uh, we've seen it now with KD last year in the playoffs, 
Zion Williamson now with the Pels, he especially because he's such a business driver for the Pels. You know, they so many more season tickets than he ever had, in, even in the Anthony Davis era. Blake Griffin is out now with uh, uh you know, some soreness, but two weeks don't know exactly when he's going to play. So when you get these injuries, number one, like what what is the process of simply discussing that? Uh, with the player and his agent first and like and coming to an agreement on what you're going to release or is there even that process well the just in the time that i was in the job the process for that sped up so much just because of social media and uh my my colleague sham <laughs> especially was getting out every every injury report seemingly within seconds of them happening uh, so we, we, uh, we, we had to pick up the pace on that. And I'm sure other teams felt the same thing. Uh, cause you want to be able to put something out and control the, the flow of information from the team side before, uh, before it gets out through other channels and players talk, they talk yeah. to their agents, they talk to their families, well, they well, talk so, to other so people. So let me stop you there. Like, what does it matter? The guy has the injury that he has. He's, he's going to have the surgery that he's going to have he's going to miss the amount of time that he's going to have what does it matter what you say so if it's a broken bone or something it's easy uh it's you know we know right away right when the guy comes out of the x-ray we pretty much know with broken bones exactly how long they take so you get that information from your from your medical team you talk to the pr people you write up a press release send it out bam that that those cases are fine the problem is when you don't know right away what the hell is wrong with the guy. Those are the ones that, that are really tough. Um, yeah, well, and it's not a good look for the team to be not, like, yeah, we, to we be don't like, know what's wrong with Yeah, them. yeah, but sometimes you don't know. You need to go through a couple of opinions or you need to get a, a, an MRI or a procedure or something. You need other pieces of information to put the puzzle together, and it takes a while. We went through that with Kyle Anderson last year where – we, where it just took us a while to figure out what exactly it was that was uh, bothering him. And then finally, we went ahead and had the surgery for him late in the year. And thankfully, he looks really good right now. So hopefully that continues. Um, but that th- those are always the, the, the trickiest ones. When you, get it, when you get into issues with soft tissue, the estimates for when they're going to return, or people want to know, well, when's he going to come back? Well, I can't tell you December 8th. I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I don't know what day he's going to come back. And it could be some of these have a pretty wide variance even for, for when the guy could come back or some of it depends on pain tolerance. You don't want to put a date out there and make your guy look like a, look like a wimp. Right. Um, Exactly. That, that kills me when, when, I mean, I think it was the bulls who did that. Oh, we want it it, with Lou all dang in 2009. Oh, we really want to like challenge him to challenge himself and feel like, Oh yeah. And it turned out uh, he actually had a stress fracture and you guys totally missed it. So uh, yeah. 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 Thanks for making him look like a wuss. Yeah. I mean that, that's one where I just, uh, I mean, it is, I understand that it's fraught with peril. I, what annoys me is just like when the snow job comes in, especially when teams are just trying to give hope that the guy might come back and they know for sure he's not going back. That's the one that just kills me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, I mean, it's, it's hard. I, I'll say that it's, it, it is hard to manage all of that and really get it right and get the tone right and get the, uh, and get that, uh, collaboration with, with the media on point in a way that they, they trust what you're telling them, but you haven't given away any confidences that you can't and you haven't made anybody look bad in the process. That 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 is a very tricky thing. That has only gotten trickier uh, in the seven years since I started in the front office again because the social media is so fast now. There are so many competing agendas here. I mean, one is obviously you don't want to remove the excitement from your fan base. Now, I would say, hey, that's that's a ridiculous concern. Like you should put that at the very on the very back burner. Uh, but you know, it might have some sort of an impact on the bottom line. There's also the idea though, that you don't want the player to look like a wuss, right? You don't want to alienate him. I mean, I think that would be number one or even worse. You don't want to be forcing him to come back before he really feels like he's ready. And then he could, could injure himself worse as well. So, I mean, to me, I would always say, Hey, we're just going to put some incredibly long timeline on this. 
you know the uh, mr scott approach uh, on star trek with captain kirk right you give him a long timeline and then if he beats it and comes back everyone's happy at that point but it seems like teams are loath to do that because they're worried that like fans are like oh he's out for the year forget it like i'm not going to games you know that kind of thing well you don't want to you don't want to create a perception that you rush the guy back because your your initial because the thing you initially put out was so yeah uh was so distant in the future either i i think that i think that's probably more of a concern i i don't think teams really are in the business of, of holding out false hope i i i mean i we didn't do that anyway um yeah we you know we had the one situation with mike where it really took us a long time to determine that he was going to need that surgery uh the uh the um 17 18 season where he he just yeah. played in november and uh I don't think we announced he was having the surgery until maybe February because we, I mean, that was when he had it. <laughs> it was like, we didn't, we, we hadn't come to that determination. Um, you know, he was, he yeah. w- wanted to try playing and we were trying to see what other things could be done. And just at the, at the end of the day, it was like, okay, it, <laughs> this is, this is what's going to happen. But it wasn't like, oh man, you should have told us in November. We didn't know in November. Yeah. And it's tough to I me. Mean, I'm sure at that time I was probably like killing you guys for making it seem like he was going to come back and like, Oh, they know he's not coming back. Like, no. So, but like sometimes it's just, it's boy who cried wolf so many times with these sorts of things Yeah, where I, I eventually am just like, I'm going to always be skeptical. Right? I think like, that's where it's important too, for teams to get the tone right and get the message right as much as they can, because then you have a little bit more uh, leeway when you, when you get in these hazy situations, which inevitably come up. That there's a level of trust, uh, you know, that's that's built up between you and and your local media. Why not just have like the medical staff answer these questions? Why is the coach the one who has to do it? I think there are some good <laughs> reasons for that. I, I, uh, it's it's one more person that you have to kind of train in uh, in the in the yeah. ways of the media and. Uh, and one one more potential information uh, leak that you don't that you don't really need to create. I realize sometimes it puts coaches in in poor positions because their availabilities are three times a day, basically. If there's a shoot around, yeah. And so they're inevitably going to get asked about it. Sometimes they will get asked about it every single time, and it's and it it puts them in a tough spot because they're the ones we always end up making available to the media. But I'm not sure there's a better solution than that either. Yeah, I mean, I guess the expert on the subject like might actually like want to give people information. <laughs> which well, yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes yeah. it wouldn't necessarily be the greatest thing. I, I guess the other thing too is, I mean, perception is reality, right? I mean, there may be medical reports on these guys, but you know, a lot of times I think you know teams are loath to trade for a guy and then scuttle it due to a failed physical, right? Like I, I think it seems or scuttle a contract due to a failed physical, right? I mean, if Dion Waiters could get his contract in Miami when he needed like ankle surgery, you know, that's a teams don't want to do that. But so I, I would imagine too, that another component is teams just don't want to mess up the trade value of their players by making them look like they're injured all the time. Uh, there's probably less of that because we do have to disclose all the information on the trade call. Yeah. Um, and, and often that's that, if there's if there's a um, a material uh, situation uh, involving the player, as opposed to you know we have to say a bunch of man- mundane stuff on the on the trade calls, you know, on, you know, last November he sprained his ankle and missed a game, you know, that's you're not scuttling the trade over that. But the um, if there's a, a really material issue, teams always uh, mention that before the before you get to the point of doing a trade call with the league. Because there are potential ramifications if you don't, and if you, um, and and if you if you get into a situation where where a team receives damaged goods and you haven't disclosed information, uh, there there are potentially pretty severe penalties that the league could impose for that. So there there is a there is a strong uh, incentive to be as honest and forthcoming as possible in, in virtually all these situations. So I, I wouldn't say it's a trade value situation as much just because of all the, all the medical information that we're required to put into those calls and those trades now, uh, that, that it really diminishes whatever value you could get out of that. 
Yeah. All right. That's, uh, that's good to know. I'm, uh, I still wonder though if it's just like the perception of some of these. I'll I'll tell you where a perception issue could hurt you is if the team doesn't even make a call about your guy because they think he's got an issue with something, and you're you're insisting that he's actually fine because you know, but they're still skittish. (laughs) So I I I think that's probably more the situation. Yeah, and obviously, like you said, I mean, there are incentives. in place to make sure that you or deterrence i should say to make sure that you don't do that you know we saw for example the sixers get dinged on the drew holiday trade like a year later because there's some stuff yeah that the they uh failed the, to disclose the jeff green uh trade between boston and oklahoma city as well uh was it was another example of that yeah well so where have you been this week you want to just talk about some of the the games that you've seen goes to yeah some, uh, yeah some observations. sure sure so uh i went up to uh toronto for opening night uh, which was great. Uh, saw the big fella get his ring, uh, which he has uh, grit and grind inscribed on the inside. So that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I saw that. That's uh, cool. So, uh, I mean, it was a great, great night in Toronto. Uh, just, uh, you know, the appreciation from that crowd to see that banner go up after all the the heartache they've had in the playoffs. And uh, you could tell even during the ceremony that was an emotional thing for guys like Lowry and Ibaka. Uh, so I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then it was a heck of a game too. Uh, Pelicans had a lot of chances to win and just couldn't quite, you can tell they're still figuring out what they are, especially with, with Zion being out and that, that late in the game, they didn't quite have that same identity and that knowledge of who they were and what they wanted to do that Toronto had, uh, with six of the top eight from last year, basically being back. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought I thought it was really interesting that Toronto basically only trusts seven players. I don't know how that works over the course of a full season. That's going to be really interesting to monitor. The, they did play Stanley Johnson against the Celtics. I, I think maybe they were just going really hard to win on wing, ring night with the the national TV audience and, yeah. and pleasing the fans and stuff. So maybe maybe that's why. They, I mean, Lowry played like you know forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Game, right? I mean, like, overtime game, but still, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but even even so, like you can tell Nurse doesn't trust any of those other guys. Like Stanley Johnson did yeah. play in that Boston game, but it was like it was like one of those vaudeville hooks came out after five minutes. He was so bad. Like just get him, <laughs> please get him out of here, anyone else. So that's that's gonna be a really interesting thing to monitor for them the whole season. But that so uh that I'd say that that was my experience in Toronto, and then I saw um Atlanta play Orlando on Saturday night, and uh that was a really interesting game. Just from the perspective of Orlando, for them to be a playoff team this year, at some point they are going to need to make an outside shot. Yeah. Uh, that that point never happened on Saturday night. Like the game was there for them to take all night and they it just never it just never happened. They just couldn't make a shot. And I I just don't know how many times that's going to happen and how taxing is going to be for them if they can't get that level of shooting to try to win 93, 87 every night and the way the league is right now. How's uh, Atlanta looking to you right now? Well, they are undefeated. Uh, they, they've uh, benefited from, uh, from I talked about Phoenix before, but Atlanta's got some super Jedi three-point defense going right now that's not going to be sustainable. But, I mean, that said, they have been able to defend much better than people have anticipated so far. So, Give him the credit for that. Trey Young has been fantastic offensively, obviously, and he's he's the key to the whole thing for them. I I I haven't really been blown away yet by the two rookies. I mean, I think Hunter has shown a little bit more off the ball juice than we saw at Virginia. They've been able to put him in some pick and rolls. He's been able to make uh, some plays, you know, some easier reads or whatever, um, but. Uh, so th- there's some encouragement there, and he can defend yeah. the How's position. Uh, yeah, I mean, is he does he look like a defensive difference maker to you, or just like a solid guy? Uh, eventually, I should say. Uh, I think that's still TBD. Uh, yeah. Right now, he looks like uh, looks like a guy, you know, and he's 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 yeah. solid and everything. But uh, there's there's nothing that's causing me to jump out of my chair either. Now we we just have to see how that evolves, and then. Reddish, it's funny because he he teases you. You know, you'll have these he'll have these brief snippets where you go, oh wow, but then he won't see him for a quarter. So it's the same thing that happened to him at Duke, and it's just a question of whether he can develop more consistency and more motor to to kind of bring those 
plays that wow you more frequently. Yeah, the biggest things I'm going to be looking for over these next couple of weeks to, to see if it stabilizes was I, I had these predictions of defenses that I thought were going to be really bad. And you know, New York, not great. Atlanta's number one in e-field goal percentage against right now, as you mentioned, shooting uh, five out of 31 or whatever it was for Orlando it helps uh, over two games there. But Phoenix uh, has looked uh, a lot better. Even Cleveland hasn't been too atrocious so far um the warriors defense i'm going to be really interested to see uh, those are some of these teams that i thought were going to be really bad defensively uh in particular phoenix like that's one where i think these next couple of weeks will get an idea whether they're going to hang around uh, all year or not that's one i think the other defense we got to keep an eye on is the pelicans because they've been in these first three games but you look at shot locations whoo I mean, I, I just don't know how that's sustainable to to do what they're doing, giving up all basically all layups and threes. Like, if, if, are you going to force twenty five turnovers a game to offset that? Like, what are you what are you going to do? So, I, I think that's a really well, well. You could play your good defensive center more than twenty one minutes a game. That would be a start. Yeah, I mean they uh, that they, they've gone away from favors, especially in second halves. And he, you know, he hasn't looked great, but he's. He's probably more effective than those other guys. Melly has had his moments because as a floor spacer, they don't have a ton of shooting. He does open yeah. things up for them offensively, but there is a defensive cost. That, and then obviously you're playing Ingram at the four, or even in the Dallas game, they played Ingram at the five. In crunch time, they had Ingram at five, Holiday at four, Holiday guarding Perzingis. And the amazing thing is that it actually screwed Dallas up for two trips because they tried to ISO Perzingis on Holiday, and Holiday just ate him up. Uh, and finally Dallas was like, okay, let's just go back and run our regular offense and I'll have no bigs. And, and they did that and, and went, went back to scoring all the time. So, but that, that that's, uh, that Pelicans team is going to be interesting to see, especially while, while Zion is out, what, what they can do defensively to force their opponents into some tougher shots. Another thing I'll be watching too is the Pelicans and Sacramento in particular are maybe the two teams that just have so many guys. And we talked about this last week where sometimes you're giving the coaches almost too much optionality with this. And now, I mean, I think it's, it's good to have all these guys over the course of a season, but I think they're kind of you know, Walton and Gentry are in at play 10 guys, play 12 guys mode. And then you just get into, oh, well, who uh, happened to hit a couple of shots between the 10 and the eight minute mark? Oh, the fourth quarter, and that's who's going to close the game. And I think you need to have a, a little bit more process-oriented decision-making in closing these games uh, than that, although the Kings might have to actually play a close game first. Well, yeah, that's true, too. But I, I do think the Pelicans, at some point, they're going to have to streamline this thing and decide kind of who, who their nine guys are and, li- and live with that. And a couple of these extra guards are going to have to lose some minutes i think because i i don't think i think you're right i I don't think what they're doing with their rotations is sustainable right now um to to try and do that for 15 or 20 games you know to toronto having watched them i thought clarity was their big advantage (laughs) you know they they only trust seven players so those are the guys who are going to play like there there just weren't a lot of decisions for nick nurse to make so that's just what they were going to do yeah and you'd think maybe continuity which is going to be huge when we've seen the most turnover that we've ever seen in the league and you know half the league were free agents and uh, all the the good teams except maybe milwaukee have just like totally new cast of characters so continuity could be a, a huge factor here early in the season um all right, you wanna you wanna get us out of here? This is uh, uh let's see if you can improve uh, over last week here. <laughs> well, let's 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 see. We're grading on a serious curve here. Well, thank you everyone <laughs> for for joining me and Nate. And uh, you can you can find our podcasts on on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else where you find podcasts. And we're we're so glad that you're listening to us. And be sure to tune in again next week. And for the next uh, X number of games until their suspension ends, you can actually add a 16th player to your roster. Uh, I don't think we took advantage of it. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I take that back. I think we did take advantage of it for one game because our entire team got sick in the Toronto hotel that year. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this story. It was, it was one of the craziest things I dealt with in, in my time with the Grizzlies. Our, our Half our team just got sick at 
in the in the hotel in Toronto, like too sick to play. And we we had to fly in Kalen Lucas and Hassan Whiteside at the last minute, who were with our team in uh, Des Moines. And we're flying them to Toronto, but there was like a blizzard. And then this was before Toronto had that subway from the airports. So there was you're driving at rush hour from Toronto airport into Toronto, which is insane. So we had we had Kalen Lucas show up like a minute before tip off, and our equipment manager just hands him a uniform. And somewhere in there, we got him to sign something, um, you know, and had it filed with the league. But that that was that was completely nuts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.